Seventy-five years ago, months after the Japanese attack at Pearl Harbor, the federal government opened up 10 concentration camps to warehouse every one of the 120,000 people of Japanese ancestry from the West Coast. Two-thirds of them were U.S. citizens. Most people believe that such a thing should never happen again in the United States to any group, racial, ethnic, religious, or otherwise. I'm Eric Muller, and I think the best way to make sure something doesn't happen again is to know what the thing was that actually happened. That's what this podcast does. It tells stories based on actual events in the lives of real people uprooted from their homes and forced to live in America's concentration camps, not because of anything they had done, but simply because of who they were. I call it Scapegoat Cities. There wasn't enough room at their makeshift plywood table for Mary and Bill Mambo to both fill out their questionnaires. So Mary claimed the table and playfully pushed her husband over towards their two pushed-together cots and tossed a pencil after him. It was quiet in their barrack room. Mary's parents had taken their son Billy off their hands for an hour or so to let them focus on the forms. They were four pages long, 28 questions, a line for a date and a signature, and below that a reminder that it was a crime to make a false statement to the government. Up to 10 years in prison and a $10,000 fine, it said. Mary looked at the front page. Across the top, in big official-looking typeface, was a caption that read, War Relocation Authority Application for Leave Clearance. It didn't matter what fancy language the government used, everyone understood what they were really being asked. It was a loyalty test. The government wanted to know who was loyal and who was disloyal so that they could start pushing the loyal people out of the camps to jobs in cities further east and young men into the army. Can you believe this? Mary said to Bill after they had both glanced through the questions. They're trying to figure out whether I'm a loyal citizen and they're asking me which magazines I like to read? Easy, honey, easy. Bill soothed his wife, something he'd been doing a lot of recently, even though he was kind of near the end of his rope, too. Why don't you tell them you only read top-secret cables from General Tojo and see what they think? He winked at her, and she smiled a weak smile back at him. Her shoulders loosened up a little. Mary had her hackles up about the whole situation. It was March 5th, 1943, the beginning of their seventh month in Unit F, of Barracks 7 in Block 28 at Heart Mountain. Seven months cooped up in a 16 by 20 room, 320 square feet for her and Bill and their little three-year-old boy Billy, who slept in his own cot a few feet away in the opposite corner. Billy was their only child, and in a setup like this, it was pretty clear there wouldn't be any little brothers or sisters coming along anytime soon. There was a newlywed couple in a room to themselves at the far end of their barrack, and though Mary couldn't understand it, they didn't really seem to have any shame at all. Sound traveled easily in these buildings. It was almost like the long space in the barrack rafters was an amplifier, and she could hear them going at it sometimes on a weekend afternoon, and very often at night. The couple were either night owls or tried to wait until very late so as not to disturb the neighbors, but Mary hadn't been sleeping well in camp, and she was often awake to hear the squeaking of the military cot and the rest of it. Maybe unlike Mary, they didn't have any family or friends nearby she didn't know. But after a late night session, 
She'd see them the next morning in the mess hall, smiling and saying hello, all chipper as if they'd just gotten the best rest of their lives. Mary knew that she couldn't handle that kind of embarrassment. And frankly, with a child sleeping a few feet away and her parents and younger sister in a unit two doors down, it wouldn't have been very enjoyable. Just another piece of life the government had taken from her and her husband. She had to admit that Heart Mountain was an improvement over where they had spent the summer before, after they'd been rounded up, the Santa Anita racetrack east of Pasadena. The lucky ones got put in barrack buildings, but they ran out of space there for about a third of the people they were cramming in, so Mary and Bill and Billy and her parents had to spend the summer in a horse stable. They joked about how lucky they were to sleep in what they called Seabiscuit's Palace for the famous thoroughbred that had lived and raced there until not long before they arrived. But no effort to put a good face on things could cover up the fact that they were living in a stall for horses. You couldn't escape the stench of horse piss, especially in the heat of a Southern California summer. And the neighborhood flies seemed to make an effortless transition from horses to humans. It was all such a jolt, and the further they got from their lives before the war, the angrier Mary got. Since she graduated from trade school in 1933, she'd had a good job making costumes for theater productions, especially the novelty revival of The Drunkard at Theater Mart in Hollywood, which had opened the year she graduated and to everyone's amazement was still running nine years later when Mary was sent to Santa Anita and Heart Mountain. Mary's parents were successful vegetable farmers whose specialty crop was rhubarb, a plant whose value was all in the roots that produced a new crop every year and that were probably rotting in the ground now for all they knew. Bill was a pretty darn good auto mechanic who had his own thriving garage in Hollywood, or used to have it anyway. Bill and Mary were solid, working-class people, but with an artistic bent and a certain flash of style. Mary designed and sewed beautiful clothing for her family and her friends. Bill was an amateur photographer and a good one who was way ahead in experimenting with Kodachrome when everyone else was still shooting black and white. Maybe in a nod to their bohemian side, they created a playful alias for themselves. Sometimes they went by the last name Mambo, their real name, M-A-N-B-O, spelled as if it were French, M-A-N-B-E-A-U-X, Mambo. When Bill Mambo used the name Mambo, he wasn't Bill, he was Pierre. Now those hard-working and creative lives were gone, or maybe just upended and suspended. Nobody knew what lay ahead. Mary set to work on her questionnaire. The question seemed so simple, too simple to really say anything meaningful about who she was or how she thought of herself or what her feelings were about the war and America and Japan. It seemed like a farce to her, just one more insult in a long string of them since Pearl Harbor. So when she answered the questions, she let a little bit of her frustration shine through. Maybe more than a little bit. She knew she shouldn't. She knew that it wouldn't do any good, that being sassy wouldn't move some bureaucrat reading her answers to some epiphany about what a raw deal she'd been handed. But she couldn't help herself. So when a question asked her to write down her citizenship, she wrote U.S., but then modified it by saying at present. And she added that she was doubtful of it. And when a question asked her about her husband Bill's citizenship, she wrote U.S., but then added a question mark. Naturally, she knew they were both citizens, but they sure weren't being treated like it, and she wanted that fact to be noted. 
And when another question asked her to state her husband's race, she didn't just write Japanese and leave it at that. She wrote that and then added, No fault of our own. I'm very proud of my race. And when another question asked her whether she wanted to leave camp to work and where she'd want to do it, she wrote down the one place she knew she was forbidden to go, Los Angeles, where, she added, all of her friends were and where she had gotten her training. And when a question asked her whether she had ever sent any of her children to Japan and asked her to put a mark above either yes or no, she didn't put a mark. She squeezed her own words into the tiny space on the form, and those words were, no, what for? She was still going through the questions, chewing on her pencil as she thought about how to respond, when Bill, over on their bed, quietly said, Mary, did you get to question 27 yet? She hadn't, but she turned the page and read it out loud. If the opportunity presents itself and you are found qualified, would you be willing to volunteer for the Army Nurse Corps or the Women's Army Auxiliary Corps? Well, this is rich, Mary said. The Army needs nurses so badly, but when my friend Chizu volunteered, and she's a licensed RN, they turned her down because she's a Nisei. And now they turn around and ask us if we'll volunteer into the WAC? They were asking a slightly different question of the men. Bill read it out loud to Mary. Are you willing to serve in the armed forces of the United States on combat duty wherever ordered? They just shook their heads. Bill wrote no, just no, plain and simple. He wasn't going to leave his family behind in this godforsaken place. Mary wrote yes, but in the tiny spot for yes or no, she asked her own question in all capital letters. Why was her nurse friend turned away by the army at a time when so many are needed? She didn't expect anyone to answer that, but it felt good to put it down in writing. Then Mary read question 28 out loud. Will you swear unqualified allegiance to the United States of America and forswear any form of allegiance or obedience to the Japanese emperor or any other foreign power, government, or organization? Mary threw the pencil onto the floor and stood up sharply, throwing her hands on her hips. I'm not going to do this, Bill. I'm not. I've had it. Obedience to the Emperor? Can you believe this? Bill gently encouraged her just to sit back down, take a couple of deep breaths, finish the form, sign it, and get it behind her. The question was supposed to get a yes or no answer. Mary wrote yes, but then added, I'm a born citizen, after it, to let whoever would be reading the thing know how indignant she was at even being asked such a thing. Bill couldn't answer the question, yes or no. He just wasn't sure where he stood anymore. The most he could offer was conditional. Yes, if we get all our rights back. That's what he wrote. They signed their names and wrote the date and put their pencils down and stood up and hugged each other in the center of their little room for a long time with Mary sniffing back tears of anger or sadness or something else she couldn't say. It'll be all right, Bill told her. It'll be all right. Mary started worrying about her questionnaire from the moment she turned it in. She didn't know who would be reviewing her answers or what they'd be looking for, or how they would turn her answers into some sort of finding about whether she was loyal to the United States. 
Surely they weren't going to just grade her questionnaire as if it were some high school science test, giving points for right answers and taking away points for wrong ones, and totaling them up and handing out A's for loyalty to the ones who passed, and F's for disloyalty to the ones who failed. But as it turned out, that's pretty much exactly what the government did. And then the government announced that on the basis of the questionnaire, it was going to reassign all of the prisoners in all of the camps, kind of like the way a teacher might reseat disruptive students or send them to detention. The disloyal people from all 10 of the camps would be concentrated at just one of them, Tule Lake in far northern California. The loyal people at Tule Lake would be shipped out to the other nine camps. This would turn Tule Lake into a segregation camp, a place where the War Relocation Authority could house all of the people they called disloyals and agitators and troublemakers and bad apples. This great reshuffling was to take place in the fall of 1943. This news did nothing to ease Mary Mambo's mind. Some of her friends at Heart Mountain, who said they had answered flat-out no to the question about swearing allegiance to the U.S. and forswearing loyalty to Emperor Hirohito, started receiving notices that they would be sent to Tule Lake come September. Others, who hadn't answered the question straight up, were being called in for hearings with camp officials to delve deeper into their answers. Mary was in suspense. What had she done by shooting her mouth off on that form? Would she be sent to Tule Lake? Would she have to abandon her aging parents at Heart Mountain? Had she messed up her young son's life even more than it already was? The great reshuffling began in mid-September. Trains full of people from Tule Lake headed south and east to the other nine camps, and trains full of people from those other camps headed north and west to Tule Lake. The Heart Mountain train to Tule Lake left on September 21st. Bill and Mary Mambo were not on it. But they weren't completely off the hook either. Each of them had gotten an order to come in for a follow-up hearing in the administration building on October 5th, a Friday. When that day came, it was unseasonably warm, hot even, all the way up to 80 degrees, which was just about unheard of for a Wyoming October. Just after lunch, Mary's parents came by to pick up Billy for the afternoon so that Mary and Bill could go to their loyalty hearings. Mary's mother said they were going to take him on a long walk and do some rock hunting up in the hills behind camp and that they shouldn't worry about him, he'd be fine. Twice, Mary put on dresses she had stitched herself and twice she took them off. She couldn't decide how a person should present herself when her loyalty was on trial. There was a more casual dress and a more formal one. The more casual one was too hot, and the more formal one was, well, too formal. Only when Bill pointed to his watch did she settle on the casual one. It was hot for a day like today, but she figured she'd be sweating in there no matter what she wore. They took Bill in first. Mary figured it was going to take a while, and she'd brought the ladies' home journal along with her to occupy herself and keep herself from fidgeting. But no more than 15 minutes later, Bill was back out again. He said he thought it had gone okay. They tried to pin him down about why he had said on his questionnaire that he wasn't willing to serve in the armed forces, and they seemed unhappy with his answer to the loyalty question on the form, the spot where he had written, if we get our rights back, after writing yes. I told him I was just using my freedom of speech, expressing my thoughts, Bill told Mary. But they said there was only one way to express loyalty, 
and that was to answer yes with no conditions. So I gave him what they wanted. He smiled at her, and he gave her shoulder a little squeeze. Then it was Mary's turn. She was expecting something dramatic, some kind of a courtroom set up. But it was just a little bare room with a desk and three chairs, two of them occupied by white men, who introduced themselves as the camp lawyer and the head of employment. She was wary, but they weren't unfriendly or overbearing. They explained that she had answered the loyalty questions with certain conditions that raised concerns about her sympathies and that they wanted to follow up on some things. They went over details like whether she spoke Japanese, whether she had ever been to Japan, where her parents and her siblings were, what her religion was, whether she had had Billy baptized, and why she had hesitations about leaving camp for a job. They gave her another chance to say whether she was willing to swear allegiance to the United States. She thought of what her husband had told her out in the waiting area and said that she absolutely was willing to do that. She was a born citizen, she added. And then, hearing how that sounded, realizing that maybe she was getting prickly again like she had on the questionnaire, she told them that she knew she was a little bit on the hot-tempered side and sometimes said things she shouldn't. We'll try to get along, the lawyer said, but he said it in a good-natured way and she felt the mood lighten a little. There was a long pause while the men looked through some papers and Mary suddenly felt as if maybe the hearing was over and she should leave. She went to get up from the chair, but the lawyer motioned her to stay. After a few more seconds, he looked up and smiled. We don't see any reason for concern here, Mrs. Mambo. We'll send the paperwork along to Washington. And that was that. The cloud of worry lifted. She and Bill and little Billy would not be sent to Tule Lake. She could stay in camp to look after her parents. Back out in the hallway, she threw her arms around Bill and sobbed quietly with relief. I told you it would be okay, he whispered to her. I told you. The loyal couple strolled back to their barrack, hand in hand, comparing notes on what they'd been asked and laughing over the dumber questions. The whole ordeal hadn't lasted more than an hour. When they got back to the barrack, Mary's parents were still out on the rock hunt with Billy. They walked to the far end of the barrack, the end where the frisky newlyweds lived, and they listened. All quiet. They made their way along the building, stopping at each unit, hearing no one. Back in their own room, quickly and very quietly, Mary and Pierre Mambou made love. Thanks for listening to this episode of Scapegoat Cities. If you like what you hear, let me know by leaving a comment at scapegoatcities.org. Or better yet, let your friends and family know on Twitter or Facebook or however else you like to tell your people about the podcasts you like. Maybe even turn on some people you don't know to Scapegoat Cities by rating and reviewing it on iTunes or wherever else you go to get your podcasts. 
I'm Eric Muller, and again, thanks for listening. Let me wander over yonder till I see the mountains rise. I wanna ride to the ridge where the west commences and gaze at the moon until I lose my senses. I can't look at hobbles and I can't stand fences. Don't fence me in.